Father, thank you for the amazing gift that you give us of eternal life. We don't deserve it, Lord, but you've taken us out of the miry pit. you saved us from so much. And we pray, Lord, that we would give our lives. The most important thing you want is our heart and our lives, Lord. Thank you for this time of praise for the worship team. Thank you for the many who have joined your kingdom, Lord. They're not joining this church. They're joining your kingdom. I pray that we will love on them. We will continue, Lord, to serve God in the Silicon Valley. Give us wisdom, Lord, as, as individuals, as physical families, and as spiritual families. We want to do all for the glory of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give the praise and worship team a hand? Amen. Please be seated. You know, when we had that meet and greet time and we welcomed many of our new folks who've joined us for the first time, some returning, that's good. I had a little picture of what heaven's going to be like. We'll all be able to go up and greet some of the folks we haven't seen in a long time, some whom I want to see, like the Apostle Paul. Um, and uh, that's really what I want to talk about today. Um, I've been thinking about, as we've been studying this whole um, series on Insanely Busy, what's heaven going to be like? And the title of my message today is Living by Heavenly Values on Earth. I sincerely believe, brothers and sisters, we are in the end times. Um, granted, the Bible's been talking about that from almost the first century. The coming of the Lord is near. But much of the signs of what we see happening in the world today uh, indicate that it might be the last generation or the second to last generation. I don't know. Um, you know, I sincerely hope that, my, I've told my dad, I hope that all of us, will, my parents and I, will go to meet the Lord together. He's 76 now, so, you know, that may not be that long, but I don't know the time. But if you look at a lot of what the Bible says is going to happen in the end times, it says the end times are going to be like the times of Noah and the times of Lot, like Sodom and Gomorrah. A lot of what happened in the times of Lot we see happening in the world today. It says a lot about the end times around the nation of Israel and around what happens around the river Euphrates. The river Euphrates is modern-day Iraq. So, so much of what we see in Revelation and much of the uh, prophecies of the Old Testament are happening as we speak. So we don't know the time, but we have to be ready because the time could be any time. And hope, my hope for today is that every one of you has given your heart to God. Um, you're ready and you're living your life so that if Jesus were to come tomorrow, you'd have no regrets. If he were to come tonight, if he were to take you uh, by death, you'd have no regrets. And one of the things that we want to do, there's this wonderful, you know, song, chorus that we sing. Many of you may have sung this growing up in Sunday school. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. And I've always, you know, thought when we study Revelation, our growth group has been studying the book of Revelation. And you get glimpses of what heaven's going to look like. And if we want to participate in part of what that heaven looks like here on this earth, so that we're not surprised. Imagine if you lived a certain way on earth and you got to heaven... And you're like, wow, I feel like a fish out of water. Because quite frankly, what's going on here is not something that I ever thought would be the case. And I never lived this type of life on earth. That's not what we, we want to be, have a picture of heaven starting on earth. So that when we actually go to heaven, there's no regrets. And we say, wow, I feel like I fit right in. I was looking forward to this day. And that's what Revelation 4 talks about. In Revelation 4, verse 1 to 4, it's almost like John, after having talked to many of the churches about much was going on, 
God told him in Revelation 4, verse 1 through 4. And after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open to heaven. And a first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place among these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and the one, that is God, sitting on the throne. So I feel there are points in time where God wants to tell us, you've got a lot going on in your life. There's distractions, but sort of like a plane. Imagine when you take off, or if you've gone in a helicopter, it's a little easier because it slowly takes off. A plane kind of tends to grab, grab altitude quickly. You gradually begin to see these things on earth look smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Imagine if you were way out there in heaven. And that's what God wants to do sometimes in our lives. He's like, just come up here with me. And you'll begin to see much of this world just begin to uh, just fade away. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things of above, not on the things of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed in his glory. So we get a glimpse of that, certainly, as we read these uh, books, Revelation, passages like this in Colossians 3. But I believe the will of God is for us to live in that heavenly set of values here on earth. And that's what I wanted to challenge, convict, comfort every one of you today. Uh, and God can raise us up, it says in Ephesians 2.8, 2.6, to heavenly places. Because the heavens are very different. When we see things by heavenly values, we begin to say, Lord, the things of this earth don't matter at all. You've got a much bigger plan. It's sort of almost like you think about the difference between the animal kingdom and us humans. There's a big difference between what a dog values and what a human being values. Much the same way God's mind is so different from ours. And often we're thinking to ourselves, we love pets, but they don't really have an intellect. They don't have IQ. We treat them a certain way. When we can actually start to look at things from God's perspective, great things can happen to our life. We can have tremendous amount of happiness because the small things that happen, you say, Lord, in the grand scheme of things, when I look back in eternity, this is going to be a small blip. Financial worries will have the values of, of heaven in terms of the way in which we think about money. So I want to talk about five things that we see in the scripture that are evident in heaven. And hopefully as you look at each of these five things, it will challenge you to say, Lord, I'm not just looking forward to that when I die or when you take me to heaven. I want that life now on earth because heaven came down and glory filled my soul and should happen here. So number one, when we see pictures of heaven in Revelation, uh, we'll read a little bit in Revelation 7. The first thing we notice about the saints is their robes are white as snow. Let's look at the scripture. Revelation 7 verse 9. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and in all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne before the Lamb clothed in white robes. Palm branches were in their hands and they cried out with a loud voice saying salvation to God who sits on the throne to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces and worshipped. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor. 
Then one of the elders answered and said, These are those who are clothed in white robes. Who are they and where do they come from? I said to them, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who have come out of great tribulation. And they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So the first thing we see is a picture of these saints who are white. The robes are white. And the key thing here is that our robes are white not by anything we can do. Not anything we can do on our own. We're white because of the blood of the Lamb. And this is something that's equal and opportunity here for everybody. There is no God, is no respecter of persons. If, we're, if we confess, in Isaiah 1.18 it says, Come let us reason together. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be white as snow. So any brother or sister here, if you're feeling you've made a complete blunder of your life, God is reaching out to you today and saying, your robes can be white as snow. If you will surrender, if you will give your heart to Him, if you will turn away from sin and repent. But then, faith without works is dead. So once we have confessed we can have the attitude of a pig, which is, I like to wallow in dirt, right? A lot of Christians, they have repented, they believe they've, but they don't have a conviction about 1 John 3, 2 and 3, which we'll look at in a second. Instead, God's saying, listen, I'm going to change your heart. Your heart, as it came out, was a heart of a pig. It enjoyed dirt. It enjoyed sin. It looked forward to wallowing in sin. Instead, I'm going to give you that heart of a cat. That the moment it drops into to a, to, to a filth, it says, why was I even there? So even if you've fallen, the key is, what's your attitude to, to sin? 1 John 3, verse 2 and 3 says, We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Because we will see Him as He is. So what's our attitude then? We're going to be white certainly with Him. What's our attitude now, between now and then? Verse 3, everyone who has this hope to be as white in robes there, fixed on him, what do we do day by day? We purify ourselves just as he is pure. That means we take sin seriously in our life. The man or woman who has understood that, that our sins are forgiven, they start to look at the scriptures and say, Lord, transform my heart. My heart seeks to, the, the natural tendency is down in the muck. Transform my heart so I can be, through the power of the Holy Spirit, a different man, a different woman. They look at Matthew 5 with a very different lens, with a lens of seriousness. Where in Matthew 5 it says, listen, if you've got a habitual problem with anger, and it talks about various different shades of anger. You get angry, you get angry and angry, and you blow it with people. That's Matthew 5, that says... That's a straight path to hell. That's exactly what Scripture says. Matthew 5 also says, if you have a habitual problem, not with adultery, but with lust, the standards are higher in the New Testament. It's better for you to pluck out your eye than go to hell. Later on, it also says in Matthew, a parable that often I've reflected on and say, Lord, if I'm going to be in heaven, I need to have this attitude. There's a parable of a, a person who was forgiven by the master a thousand dollars, thousand denarii, it actually says in Matthew 18. And this man, despite being forgiven of a thousand dollars, the story goes, 
immediately gets out from this enormous forgiveness and grabs someone by the neck who owes him just a hundred dollars, okay, and tortures him. And the master comes and says, listen, fellow, you were forgiven a thousand dollars. How can you go and hold a grudge towards someone who has a hundred dollar? And what the message of that is, if you've got a grudge against anybody, if you haven't forgiven somebody, when our Savior has forgiven us much, much more of a load, it says in the, in the, the end of that parable, you will be turned over the torturers. So whether it's anger, whether it's lust, whether it's an unforgiving spirit, the Lord says, I want to make you as white as snow. I want you to purify yourself just as you are pure through the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we do this? How do we do it? We cannot do it on our own strength, brothers and sisters. There's no amount of our own strength because our, our, our righteousness are like filthy rags. Colossians 3, 5-11 through has the answer. Therefore, 5-11 through in Colossians 3, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, to impurity, to passion, to evil desire and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For as because of these things, the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience and them whom you walked when you were living. But now also in you, put then aside all anger, wrath, malice, slander, abuse of speech. Do not lie to one another, since you've laid aside the old life with its evil practices. And here's the promise in verse 10. Put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal of which, this is the wonderful promise. There is no distinction. It doesn't matter where you've come from. If you've been blundering all the way to June 5th, 2016, here's the promise. There is no distinction between the Greek, the Jew, the circumcised, the uncircumcised, the barbarian, the Scythian, the slave, the free man. Christ is in all and through all. So power of the Holy Spirit. And you look inside that the barbarians were the worst of all. The Scythians called the, bar- the barbarians called the Scythians like worse barbarians. So it doesn't matter where you've come. If you have given your heart to the Lord, today can be the day for a new start. We say, Lord, I want this to be the witness of my life where my robes can also be white. So that's number one. Our robes, the calling of everyone here is that your robes will be white there in heaven. But your obligation here on this earth is to purify yourself uh, as he is pure. The second thing we see in heaven is that there is a constant spirit among these saints of praise and worship. Now, many folks tend to use this term praise and worship together. They interchange them and think it's the same thing. Well, we had a wonderful time of praise and worship. Well, let's look at Scripture because there's a difference that's important uh, for us to note in terms of how God calls out praise. There's verse after verse after verse in Psalms that talks about praise. And praise is typically an echo or reflection of our lips. Psalm 51.15 O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. Psalm 63 verse 3 Behold, your lovingness is better than life. My lips will praise you. Psalm 71.23 My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you and my soul will be redeemed. And we see verse after verse of this. So the praise of God is important. We had that this morning, a fantastic time of praise. We worship together on our knees. That's an echo of our lips. But worship is a much deeper thing. Worship is one where God says, I want not just your lips, 
I want your heart. I want your body. And there are examples of this. Romans 12.1 talks about this very, very clearly. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. There are two examples in the Old Testament where for the first time you see examples of worship. And they're all after amazing events that happen. The first one is Job. Imagine if your life was Job. All your children died. All your property was taken away. Destroyed. And even the person who's closest to you, your wife, basically says, there's no hope for you, curse God and die. I'm pretty sure most of us haven't gone through that. That level of, of trauma or tribulation. And what do we see? Job falls on his face and says, Lord, naked I've come from the womb, naked I will return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he falls on his face and he worships. Abraham, another picture of him when he offers Isaac, the word used again is worship. So what God wants from us is not just our praise. That's important. It's an echo of our lips. It's important to praise him. But he wants our complete life. He wants us to worship him. And that's what we see very, very clearly is what's happening again and again and again in heaven. Let's look at a few of these, a few of these examples um, in, in, uh, in Revelation. Now, one of the things that's interesting about Revelation, I did a little Bible study. And interestingly enough, if you were to look at the word worship, it appears, if you were to say, well, what book of the Bible is it probably going to come in most often? You'd probably say it's Psalms. It does actually, um, you know, is, is in Psalms about 15 or 16 times. But it's in Revelation over 20 times. Now, a few of those are worship of the beast. But even if you take away the worship of the beast, you see a picture of worship, 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 worship. And look, look, look at them. And you'll see a picture of this worship very clearly. Revelation 4.10. The 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him. They've given their entire life, as you know, as we've read in all these verses so far. But when they get to heaven, they're still worshiping him. Revelation 5.14. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Revelation 7.11 again. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Revelation 19 verse 4. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God. Throne saying amen and hallelujah. And finally Revelation 19.10. Then this is talking about God, uh, John's attitude. I fell at his feet and worshiped. And he said to me, and then again, Revelation 24, I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given them and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded, these are the martyrs, who had not received the forehead and, the ta- of, of, and they fell down and worshipped. So we, we see again and again and again, praise and worship is a hallmark of heaven. And God wants not just our praise in this wonderful time, praise and worship, He also wants our worship. Worship of giving our hearts, giving our lives completely to Him. That's the second uh, attribute that we see uh, in heaven. The third, uh, the fourth one, the, the third one we see is the way in which crowns on people's head show up. Today, if you think about the earth, what are the crowns that people, you know, recognize on people's heads? It's their degrees, their status, their titles, okay? The way in which they're respected on earth. Those are the crowns that are physically placed on people's heads, Right? The only crown that we see that Jesus received was a crown of what? 
of thorns. There was no title he received. He was considered the worst of all. No good thing comes out of Nazareth. He was a son of a carpenter. But there is a picture of a crown of glory and a crown of life that we see um, in, in parts of the, of, the, of the New Testament. Let's look at them. In, sec, in, in Second Timothy, it talks about, In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only me, but also those who have loved his appearing. James chapter 1, verse 12, it talks about the crown of life. Blessed is a man who perseveres under tri- trial, for once as he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. First Peter 5, 4, when the, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an f- unfading crown of glory. So again and again, we see this picture of a crown of glory. But even as we see this picture of a crown of glory and a crown of life, it's interesting to see the attitude that the saints have in heaven to even the spiritual recognition that they are given. Let's look at Revelation 4.10. And to me, this is a picture of the humility that we need to have on this earth if we're going to be ready for that in heaven. Revelation 4.10, it says... The 24 elders will fall down before him who sits before the throne. They will worship him forever and ever. We talked about that before. And what do they do with these spiritual crowns that they've been given? These is the, this is not the crown of you've went to this great college or you achieved all this stuff on earth. These are the crown of glory, the crown of life. They take their crowns and they put that before the throne and they say, Lord, we are not worthy. So think about this. This is even the spiritual distinction. I think when we get to heaven... One of the godliest men we'll meet is probably the Apostle Paul. He's probably going to be front of line in the most humblest person saying, Lord, I don't deserve this crown that you've given me. So our attitude needs to be, even when we get a spiritual blessing that acts as a crown ahead, we say, Lord, I don't deserve this. When we see somebody else who's struggling, as that great man of God said, struggling with anything, it might be an addiction, we say, Lord, there go me, but for the grace of God. That needs to be our attitude so that there's a pervasive sense of humility that fills us even for the spiritual blessing that we have. That's the extreme form of what the Lord wants to do. Number four. Here is the characteristic of the way in which heaven treats gold. So what's gold a picture of here on this earth? Money. All of the love and pursuit of money and materialism. There is mention of gold in heaven. Okay, It says the, the material of the wall was jasper and the city was like pure gold in the heavenly city. Revelation 21 verse 21 it says, The twelve gates were twelve pearls and each one of the gates was a single pearl and the streets were gold. But here's something that you all need to be comfortable with in terms of gold. I'm sorry to tell you there won't be any bank balances in heaven. Where is gold in heaven? On the streets, and where is the streets? Below your feet. So if you have come to treat money, not as your God, not something that possesses you, but you say, Lord, I am never going to be a slave to money. I'm going to put money and gold below my feet. You're prepared for heaven. If instead it rules you, if it's occupying you, you're constantly worried about about this or the other, the pursuit of it, you're going to feel out of place. When you get to heaven, you're going to try and dig up the gold out of the street. You're going to be uncomfortable. These folks are the folks who have understood the rightful place for money. Money needs to be below your feet. 
And the fifth and final one is the way in which we serve God. And this is beautiful. I, I love this because we think, you know, serving God can be an onerous task. Takes too much of our time. You know, I'm going to serve God a few hours, but it's, you know, I got myself to take care of. There's a beautiful, beautiful picture in, seven, in, in, in Revelation 7 uh, where it talks about the saints and their attitude, and it talks about them constantly serving God. 24-7, it says they serve God. They don't get tired of serving God. The natural tendency on earth is to serve ourselves. We're naturally very selfish people. We focus on our own needs. We focus on you know, what our family needs. It's very, very difficult. The heart of man is selfish. Right? But God wants to take us out of that focus of ourselves and says, listen, I want you to serve me. And if you're serving each of these, my saints here, those who are poor or naked, you're serving me. So to illustrate this, you know that I like illustrations. Eric, why don't you come up here? We're going to set up two chairs here. And I thought of a couple in our body whom I couldn't think of a better couple to, to do this illustration with, who have served God for many, many decades. They've been an inspiration to me, to our church. Uh, they are Fred and Cheryl Degree. Fred and Cheryl Degree, come on up. And let's give them a hand as they come on up. We're going we're gonna to simulate, have a seat here, and we're going to prepare you for he- a, uh, you know, a good dessert meal in heaven. Okay? And you're going to have, each of you are going to have these, yeah, we'll pull the chair just a little further apart. Yeah, there you go. Each of you are going to have these really long spoons to speed yourselves. Okay? All right, here you go. And I got some M&Ms for each, each of you. Fred, I'm going to let you, uh, I'm going to drop a few M&Ms in your, your spoon here and let's have you feed yourself. This is your dessert. Okay, Cheryl, you've got a few M&Ms for your dessert. Cheryl, you can do it. Come on. Let's try a few more. Fred's got longer hands, so he was able to get a few in his mouth. Now, this is kind of what our selfish life on earth is. We're focused on ourselves. We're focused on every aspect of what we need. Now, every one of you are looking at this and saying, hey, there's a very easy way to solve this. How should they solve this? Feed each other. Okay. Fred, you're going to serve your wife first. She got all of the M&M's. And Cheryl, you're going to serve. You like some more? (laughs) But they have been doing this for 27, 25, 27 years as a married couple. They've been a blessing to this church. That's a, thank you, brothers and sisters. Okay, good. You can leave it there. We'll we'll pick up the M&M's later. But that's an illustration of what serving in heaven is going to look like. Everyone is focused on the other. We tend to be a take, take, take society, take, take individuals. Ever notice when a child is born, you know, their hands come in like this. 
Fists are closed. I'm not saying I'm reading much into that. But it's a picture, right? We tend to be like that. We're grabbing, we're grabbing, we're grabbing. So if you are of that kind, you say, Lord, transform myself. That's the nature of a pig. I want to be transformed to one that enjoys serving. There's a joy in serving. But here is the promise. This part to me was the most uplifting part of this passage. Here is the promise for those of you who serve. And if you get a picture of what this is going to look like in heaven, you'll be enormously prepared for it here on this earth. Check this out. This is Revelation 7, verse 15 to 17. And I'll close on this, this, this note. For this reason, they are before the throne. It's talking about this multitude that we talked about earlier in Revelation 7. And they serve him day and night, 24-7 in his temple. He who sits on the throne. And check this out. This is the promise of what God will do for you if you serve him. And you tell me at the end of this if it's a fair trade. Lord, I want to serve you all the days of my life. But in return, what's, the God, what's God going to do for you? First off, he will spread a tabernacle over you, over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst anymore. The sun will not beat down on them or any heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Shepherd, someone who's guiding them through tough places, just like Psalm 23 will guide them to the, sp- the, the springs of water of life and will wipe every tear from their eye. Now let me tell you, if you worked for an employer and the employer said, give me every waking hour of your time. Most of us typically do that today. There's very rarely a 40-hour job. Many of our jobs are more than 40 hours. But imagine if the employer told you, in return for the 40 hours that, or 60 hours or 70 hours, whatever time that you're working for me, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to be your protector. I'm going to take care of all of your needs. You're going to be safe. You're going to be secure. That's the best thing I would want. Lord, I will give you any amount of my time. I want you to protect my family. When I was growing up, I should have probably acknowledged this at the beginning of the service. I have a very special guest here today. It's my mother who is 72 years old. Mom, why don't you stand up? She is one of the heroes of my life. Uh, But one of the things for me, every um, I thank God for mothers. Um, We celebrated Mother's Day a few weeks ago. I should say that at Mother's Day, I remember this, I told my mom this earlier, there was a sister here who won uh, the prize for the most number of grandchildren. And I think it was 14. I just want to let you know my mom's outdone you with 15 and 16 in the last two weeks. Uh, number 15 and 16 of the Poonin clan have arrived. My, my second brother had his fifth child, and my uh, third brother had his fourth child. So we're now at 15 and 16. I don't know if it's counting or not, but at least 15 and 16. But uh, um, I will tell you, when I grew up as a child, I had thick glasses. I was bullied at school. The one thing that I knew... Um, was that when I came home, it was secure. There was a safety in a tabernacle. There was a security around my home, okay, which I'm thankful for. I didn't deserve that. I didn't choose the home that I was going to live in. I wasn't, didn't choose the parents to have. And that's my prayer for every one of you, certainly in your homes. Our homes need to be that safe and secure place, that are irrespective of what happens at school. They can come in here because of the fear of the Lord and the godliness that's around our homes. The same thing in the church. 
Irrespective of what happens out there in the community, you've got to know when you come into the church of God, whether it's Abundant Life or any other place you're worshiping, I hope that you sense that this is a reflection of what that picture of the tabernacle is going to be. Where we serve God faithfully and in return for that, He provides a tabernacle for us. It has been my testimony, brothers and sisters, that when you serve God, I've witnessed this in my family. It's certainly the promise I want to, to echo for my own family. I have seen this also in this church. There have been examples of brothers and sisters who have been faithful and faithful and faithful, and God's blessed them. God's blessed them in ways that are inspiration to me. I'll give you a couple of examples. Brother Rocky, I told him just before this I was going to pick him as one of my examples, so he's not going to be too embarrassed by this. He has been an example to me because of the way in which, as a man of God, he has brought up his children. Four daughters. Now I think you've got some grandchildren too. One. You've got a little bit of catch up with number 15 or 16. But I can tell you, I'm on my knees trying to bring up three children. And when I see a man of God who's been a great father, I give glory to God for that. Can we give Brother Rocky a hand? And there are other, other sisters here. I don't know if you know this. Sister Hill, we call her Mother Hill. The amount of prayer that has gone around every pew here, and probably many of you, I'll get emails from her in the middle of the week, pray for this person. Part of these ideas of doing these prayer cards come from many of the brothers and sisters who are faithfully praying. These are examples of service that we have. And I encourage every one of you, when you serve God, He is never a debtor. I felt the calling of the Lord just two years ago, when a lot was, that was going on in our church, all that I heard from, from the Word of God to me was, stand in the gap. There's a gap, there's a little hole there, just be faithful and stand in the gap. And for many of you, that's all the Lord might ask. Stand in the gap and be faithful. You may not have a visible place, you might be a single mother at home, and you feel like, listen, nobody sees me, but you're standing in the gap. When you serve God faithfully, here is the promise that you can lay a hold of. And I will tell you, it's really an unfair trade. Imagine that I'm serving God, and in return, He builds a tabernacle around me. Every tear of mine is wiped. Every need. I'm not asking for luxuries. I'm asking for the necessities. That's what His promise is for every one of you. So my prayer... For every one of you, none of the, what we've shared today, I hope, is a con, con, condemnation, but a word of conviction and a word of comfort. That if we want to get ready for heaven, these are the end times, brothers and sisters. I absolutely believe that. First off, I pray that every one of you here, as we get ready for our altar call, knows Jesus as a personal Savior. Don't leave this auditorium if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. Because it's not guaranteed that you live to see tomorrow. Not guaranteed. I've had friends of mine in my 30s and 40s who've died of a heart attack. So make sure you've given your life to Jesus. That's the most important thing you can do. But if you have given your life to Jesus and you feel like there's some aspect of your life that's not reflecting what we saw of these five aspects of, of heaven today, there's still time. Renew your walk with the Lord. Purify your walk just as He is pure. And God can do an amazing work. He can take that heart that feels like a pig and transform it through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's my prayer for every brother and sister. And the most important thing we need in doing that is Jesus. Not anything we can do on our own. So let me say a word of prayer, and then I'll bring uh, Eric up to do the altar call as we close in a, in a wonderful song, I'd Rather Have Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you for... 
The picture of heaven, Lord, that we are able to see today. These five attributes. There's going to be many other things. You spoke to me five in the past few weeks and months as our growth group has been studying Revelation um, that have stuck in my heart and I wanted to share this out today in a way that could be a blessing to some brother or sister here today. I pray, Lord, that we won't feel out of place like a fish out of water when we get to heaven because there's aspects of this that you want to do in our lives today. Heaven came down and glory can fill our souls today. So I pray that we would live by those heavenly values every day of our lives, individually, our physical family, our spiritual family, Lord, that we will be ready for that day when you come or if you take us before that. And we're going to go into heaven and we're going to see all these saints who are clothed in white, who who are delighted to serve you 24-7, who fall down and worship you, who cast their crowns at you, Lord, and we'll be ready because we fit right in. May that be true of us now on this earth, Lord, as we prepare for your coming. In Jesus' name.